I always tell people, don't ever invest in anything you don't understand. And, and I broke that rule for sure because I was thinking that some of these websites, you know, like, you know, one of the main ones that I was using at the time that, that's no longer in existence, uh, Realty Shares, someone took it over. Um, but, you know, I was under the impression that they were, you know, shifting, sifting through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of deals and they only handpicked the best ones and they were putting those on the website. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 131, 131. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Doing great, not a whole lot. How are you doing? Good, staying safe? Staying safe, man. We, uh, Texas is to... one of the states that's going to reopen, right? Yeah, we're starting to reopen a few things. I think little by little, we'll kind of get there. Some counties have extended the, the stay in place, shelter in place, stay home, whatever you want to call it. For the most part, we're uh, we're starting to kind of move in the direction of reopening. Yeah, pretty interesting. So we've been riding, my wife and I have been riding. For those who don't know, we live in New York, so we're kind of in the center of it. But we've been riding bikes a little bit just to try to get out of the house. You know, we ride around with our masks on or whatever. And anyway, so we rode and oftentimes there's Mark, glass on the road. everybody what kind of bike you're riding. Oh, I'm riding a little, uh, hold on, let me look behind me. Let's see. It's a Raleigh record. Yeah, there you go, it's a, dude. It's a real nice. Picked it up at a garage sale in Brooklyn for about, I don't know, 125 bucks or something nice, last year. So It's like a beach cruiser? Although the, it's a road bike, but it's old school. My wife's is old school too. But I was sitting in the office. We're sitting in the, our other room today, and all of a sudden, you hear like this pss, like pop, and one of my, my, my front tire went out. <laughs> just randomly I, I don't know why i don't know if someone's stuck in it finally professional biker i ask you what happened i checked do i know i wasn't there man but it could it could have just been a uh it's just sitting here in the in our little office just yeah it could have just been changing pressure or something who knows man tubes flat all the time i got a flat not too long ago and I, keep in mind i replaced my tires on my road bike probably about every five thousand miles maybe a little four thousand miles i get these, these continental tires they're pretty good but i still get you know, a few flats here and there, pinch flat, run over something. And in fact, funny story, I just bought six new tubes, two of them from the bike shop, local bike shop. That's all they had. And then I ordered some others online. And the ones I ordered online actually got delivered to the wrong house. So I thought they didn't come. I was getting all flustered. And then my neighbor, who's got the same three digits, but a different street, brought them back over to me last night. I was like, finally, I get these bike tubes. Interesting. I need them. Yeah. If you're changing them every 5,000 miles and miles, that for me is probably like a couple well, times in my the, lifetime. <laughs> that's just the tires. The tubes, I mean, I'm changing. I'll <laughs> flat a tube here and there. you know. But it's just good to have extra on hand. And then you never know if you're going to see somebody on the side of the road that needs one. You flip it to them, you know. Do a good deed. Right, right. All right, interesting stuff. Well, let's jump into this. So one of the goals here, I think Jason and I both been sharing one of the goals of the podcast is to kind of circle back with some of these millionaires and talk to them about how they've allocated and update their net worth. And so today's the first episode where we're going to do that. We're going to go back and visit with two millionaires that we've interviewed prior and just see, you know, hey, what's the update? And one of them is very specific to this corona situation that's going on. You know, what are you doing now? How has your allocation changed? What are you doing with the market? 
And then another one is is just an update on on his financial situation. So I think these become real interesting, right? Five to 10 years later, when people start, you know, really changing and, and decades later, then we can kind of track their net worth as it grows, right? And it'll be interesting for some of these people that we've interviewed that have a $700,000 net worth now, for example, and 4 million in, in several years or 20 years or 30 years, right? So it'll be interesting kind of to go back and see. So that's what we're doing today. So there's going to be two different segments. Both of them are actually named Jeff. So hang with us. We'll get we'll get exactly what it is. But um, just a quick recap. Last show, we had Tiffany. She had a remarkable story of losing her job and being unemployed for a couple of years, being on unemployment and now bouncing back and being a multimillionaire. She's almost a net worth of two, two million just shy. It's about one point seven has a couple of rentals, her primary residence. She's really a millionaire next door type of person. So really interesting interview with her. I know the, the sound quality was a little bad last week, so we apologize for that. Obviously, we're trying to do our best we can to uh, to make it as high of quality as we can. Um, so, so the two guys, two guys we have on today, one is Jeff. He he was episode 109. We called that uh, net worth. He had a net worth of 4.1, and we called that 150k in Apple stock in a Yellowstone cabin. So we'll start here with his segment, and then following his, we'll, we'll listen to Jeff, a debt-free doctor, and he's episode 4.8, and he was at about $2.4 million when we initially released that in September of 2018. So it's been about a year and a half, just over a year and a half. So without any further ado, let's jump in right into those interviews with the Jeffs. Jeff, do you want to just give everybody a little synopsis of you and, and kind of what you're up to now? I know that last episode you kind of revealed that you're going to be retiring and now you have gone into retirement and we had the craziest thing happen for somebody who just retired. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, uh, thanks guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, I love sharing my my story with with others and, and sharing good objective information for others that may be walking that same path. But yeah, I live uh, here in the Pacific Northwest with my uh, with my wife. I have a daughter who's about to graduate from college, and had been planning for early retirement for some time, being uh, that I was turning 50, uh, 52 back at the time, and. For a number of reasons, I had put off that retirement. Uh, I've been thinking about it for really the past five years or so, preparing for most of my friends would tell you I've been preparing for you know, 20 years or so, but finally decided to uh, pull the trigger after some large projects at work and finally deciding I was, I was prepared. And I retired back on September 12th of, of last year and didn't know it at the time, but I was retiring in what would uh, what I would consider to be, you know, the mother of all Monte Carlo simulators uh, iterations where you know, any of your guests that know how to use Monte Carlo simulators, which is taking all your variables of your current situation to forecast the likelihood that your your funds will last for the rest of your lifetime through throwing it through thousands of different iterations. And, you know, it's tough to get a Monte Carlo simulator to ever give you 100 percent. It, it's going to usually, if you've planned really well, it's usually going to give you a 98 or 99 percent, you know, based on the fact that just about anything could happen at any given time. Not, nothing that you would forecast, but something that could happen. You know, the old World War Three or a global pandemic, uh, something like that. So, but I, I still, I pulled the trigger on uh, September 12th, and like everybody else, have been navigating these waters for well since I retired. But yeah, over the last six weeks, it's been a rather interesting ride. Yeah, totally. And we're going to get into some of that. But first, do you remember what your net worth was the day you retired? Yeah, the day I retired, uh, net worth was, I track it a number of different ways. It, my net worth back then was about 
4.45 million. And that's, I use a simple net worth calculation that, that includes just large real estate. You know, so I've, I've got my house, which is fully paid for. And then I have my, I have a little rental, a vacation rental cabin as well. And so those are the only two assets that I include in my net worth. And it was about 4.45 million. And then the actual investable assets, 3.15 million was my investable assets. Okay. And then what, do you remember roughly what your net worth peaked out maybe in end of February? Yeah. You know, and, and I was looking back, you know, I, I, I gave you a wrong number there. My, that my peak was about 4.35. And whenever I retired, I was at about 3, uh, 3.2, about 4.1. So my net worth at retirement was about 4.1. It peaked out at about 4.35. Okay. And now where do you sit? Net worth right now is four point three two. Okay, so so you've you've moved around a little bit with the market, but nothing too crazy. But what were you thinking as as the market's taking a dive, and and I'm sure you were pretty heavily invested, losing several hundred thousand dollars a week, kind of thing. You know, over over the course of a week or two back in March. Right. Yeah. Sure. And you know, I, I should say too on tracking the net worth and things. You know, I. Like anybody else, there's in order to mentally get through things, you know, sometimes I will do things like not check, you know, my balances and such to keep my hands off money to resist that emotional urge to to make trades and such. You know, as as I've said in the past, I think we even touched upon it last time we chatted. I by nature, I'm a trader, but by necessity, I'm I'm a long term investor and I always seek to take advantage of what the market is offering at any given time. We're coming out of the steepest decline, I believe, ever on record. You know, we went from being a fair percentage up on the markets to down, you know, 36 to 38%, depending on which, which index you're looking at. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been quite the ride. And so at any given time, my net worth could have been higher or lower, but I have my funds. And I think this is really important to, to point out. And, and you may recall this from the last time we spoke. You know, I have, I have two different buckets, if you will, of money. I have my my pre-tax money, which is money that I'm hoping not to use until I re, uh, until I take my RMDs, uh, forced RMDs at 70 to 72. And then I have what I've always called my bridge account. My bridge accounts are a set of investment accounts that will take me from the day I retire back in September up through retirement. So being that I'm 53 now, those bridge accounts I'm hoping will last me 17 years. So I'm living out of my bridge accounts right now. And that's made up of a set of three different accounts, a cash account, a short term account, which I consider to be two to eight years, and then a long term account, which is nine plus. So it's those three different accounts make up my my bridge account. And then I have my long term money. So your question about how did I uh, get through that period or some of the things that I was thinking it helped a little bit. I, I would be down further if not for a stroke of luck. Now, I, I do believe that you have to put yourself in a situation to take advantage, uh, well, take advantage of situations and sometimes make your own luck as well. But it turns out now, if you recall that the, the high on the S&P was about 33.95 back on February 19th or so. Coming out of retirement, the thing that I had to do is I had a, I had a qualified, I had a 401k plan for my previous employer. And it was the largest, the largest account I have was my 401k. And so obviously that's, that's pre-tax money. I have a couple of Roth IRAs 
And well, I have one Roth IRA, one regular IRA for my wife, and then I have this this 401k. Two weeks before the high of the S&P, I was trying to find a time where I could roll that over. And I hate being out of the market because that's the best place for yield. I'm not I'm not a huge believer in bonds other than you need it for for yield and for safety, for fixed income. But two weeks before the market hit its high, I decided it was time to roll that 401k over. So I had to make that essentially roll all my 401k money out of the market into cash. And I rolled it over into my in my investment account. So as a matter of just sheer luck or maybe 10% uh, 10% strategy in that I was getting uncomfortable with the froth in the market. I happened to roll that money into cash two weeks before everything hit the fan, and it rolled into my Charles Schwab account on the day the S&P hit the high on February 19th. So like wow. anyone else, uh, luckily, in the year, uh, in the years before, two years before, and then up until the beginning of this year as well, I started a systematic rolling out of some of my more heavily weighted growth stocks, things that have been carrying relatively large capital gains. And out of necessity, I needed to roll those out of the Googles, the Apples. Not that I didn't like these these issues or these positions, but they were making up a large portion of my diversification. So um, so I, I had some more exposure. So I rolled out of that and into things that I just hate, like, like bonds. And I, I didn't carry any CDs, but I, I did roll into some bonds. And in my two through eight account in the bridge, I rolled to a 40-60 diversification, 40% equity is 60% bonds and cash. And then in my nine plus account, I rolled into a, basically it was a 65-35 or 60-40 plan because this is money I, I didn't really need for nine to 10 years. And both of those accounts, I have not traded a single share on uh, because my experience has always taught me in the middle of a crisis like this, you don't, you don't sell. However, there was still no way, even with that portfolio, that I wasn't down at one point on my bridge account. I think I was down 440k or so, wow. even with that uh, blended blended weight. So, you know, yeah, I, I, because anyway, sorry, go on. No, no, I was just thinking because if if you reached, I mean, we had you on the show, so just for our listeners, uh, your episode 109, which we called net worth of 4.1, 150k in Apple stock and a Yellowstone cabin. So. If you were at about 4.1, we released that in November of 19. We obviously did the interview beforehand, but you peaked at 4.35. Now you're at 4.32. How have you not taken a hit in the market? I mean, well, obviously, yeah. this, this 1 million that you rolled, but I guess it's down, what, 15% or something now from the high, at least the S&P? Yeah, so, yeah the S&P is down 15.3% from the high, uh, coming off of a high of 33.94 back on February 19th. So my savings account, of course, is, you know, that's, I'm living out of that. So that's not an issue. My income account is down 6.2% from the high. My legacy account or my, my nine plus account is what I call it. I call a legacy account. That's my, again, that's the longer term money in my bridge is down 8.9%. And so my total bridge account is down 7.4%. So you, you might say, gee, that, that doesn't really add up because as, as a, as I sit right now, I'm down a total of 4.4%. And so you're like, geez, how have, how have you done that? Right. Uh, two things. One, the best thing about this downturn, and, and ho- I'm sure the rest of your listeners 
who who manage their money or actively manage their money will will certainly understand is that when you go into something like this, you need to you need to grin and bear it and reduce risk and to make sure that you have good allocations and good diversification in your different portfolios for the time that you need your money to last short term money, mid term money, long term money. And so the best part about this downturn is that I've been able to track my my different accounts to find out where it's been performing as a correlation to the market. And, you know, I, I have in my head, OK, this is why I, this is what I hope to achieve with this particular blend of 40, 40 uh, fixed income, 60 in equity for my two through eight money. This is what I hope to achieve from my 60, 40 and my nine plus money. Here's what I hope to achieve in my retirement account. One of the one of the best things about this downturn was my ability to then go in and take a look at this and see how am I correlating to the market to my expectations. And what I found is that I was actually correlating at a higher risk than I wanted to. So, you know, I was hoping to maybe be at a third of the market in my two through eight money. And I was hoping to be at no more than 50 percent correlated to the market with my nine plus. You know, so if the market was down 20% in the longer term money, I'd hope to be down 10% and you know, a third of 20% for my two through eight. So I was able to, through this downturn, to be able to figure out, geez, why am I correlating at a higher number? And I was able to be able to track it back to a fixed income, a, a Vanguard bond fund that I had, which turned out that it was a corporate bond fund. And so it fell, you know, what I was hoping it would only fall, say, maybe 3% in a downturn like this. It, at one point, it was down 10 or 11%. And so I was able to zone in right on, on a focus in right on that particular position to find out, okay, so whenever we come out of this, I'm going to need to look at rebalancing my portfolio and get out of this bond fund and roll into more of an aggregate bond fund. But the real reason that I've been able to weather this so well is because I had that money in my 401k that had been rolled over. And if you recall, you know, I'm a trader by nature, an investor by necessity. While I wasn't anxious to trade this 401k money, I've always been an individual who's been able to balance the technical aspects of market trading versus the emotional aspects. And so with this money sitting here, so I have this large amount that rolled over into Charles Schwab getting ready to essentially set into a diversification plan for money that I wasn't going to need until 72 beyond. I said, well, I have a great opportunity here with the markets down 35, 38%. I can start rolling into some very long-term positions that I feel I'm getting at a bargain. And so where before maybe I was going to be looking at a 60-40 split or even a maybe a 70-30 split, but I was really thinking of being a little bit more conservative with these uh, with these retirement funds. I decided, well, the markets as they fall 15%, 20%, 25%, 30%—what a great opportunity to start rolling into some of these larger blue chip positions that who I who have good balance sheets, who I feel are going to be their dividends are secure, but in 18 months, 24, 36 months from now are going to be a lot higher. So I started right. a I started routinely investing as we hit 20% down. At every five percent increment, I was putting another, say, ten percent of that cash to work in, you know, in some large names, Microsofts, right. uh, AbbVie, ones that pay good dividends. So 
even though I wasn't invested, I'm still only invested about 30% in that particular account. That 401k has gone from roughly 983k to it's up about $100,000. So it has offset the losses okay. that I've seen in my bridge account. So w- let me just ask you this, because I, I know you do buy and hold a lot of single stocks. Um, what are you buying now? I'm really focusing on beaten up stocks in in blue chip names that have what I would venture to guess would be safe dividends. And so good balance sheets, relatively safe dividends. And some of the issues that I will yeah, I will mention here are ones that you might say, geez, right now, though, is that really a safe dividend? It may not be for the next six months to a year, but longer term, I I believe, no, that we're in no situation like we were in back where we had systemic failure back in 2008, 2009. So right off the top of my head. One thing I wanted to be sure of whenever I was taking these positions is that I'm taking positions that I don't expect to trade in and out of unless sheer market volatility gives me an opportunity. So here, here are the, the issues that I've got currently. And I'm really focusing on making sure that I don't have many issues more than about 3% of the overall account. I'm always willing to carry one or two positions that might have four or 5% if I'm really sold on their long-term prospects to their current short-term price volatility. So if I'm able to capture a little bit of alpha, things that are going to outperform based on how far they've fallen, I'm willing to do that. So my top position is Microsoft at roughly just under 5% of the entire portfolio. My second position is AbbVie. Third position is Berkshire Hathaway, B-Shares, JP Morgan, uh, American Electric Power, Deer, Pepsi, Verizon, Cisco, Home Depot, uh, Alliance Data Systems, Kraft Heinz, Wells Fargo, Intel, uh, Annaly Capital. I just bought some Boeing uh, as well. Um, and back on Thursday of last week, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to jump into some of the beaten up stocks such as TripAdvisor and Southwest right. Airlines as well. Rolled out of those whenever we got that big market pop of seven, 800 points on Friday. It was a one day hold, but you know, I pulled out a few thousand dollars from both of those because the market gave me an opportunity. And I didn't necessarily see those as long-term holds at this time. It was more buying based on I was comfortable with their price action versus what I thought the market was going to provide in the short term. Yeah, that's, so what, I was gonna, that's, that's what I was going to ask you just because, you know, you know some of the bigger names, right? You have your Home Depot. I mean, the banks are down big, right? JP Morgan and Wells Fargo. But then you have others like Home Depot. I mean, they're still down, but I think it's probably like 20%-ish right now, right? But then you look at the travel industry, whether it's it's Boeing or Airbus or Marriott or the airlines or cruises, especially. Right. I mean, the cruises are, are down up to 75 sure. percent from their from their high. Are you gambling on any of those or staying away? I at this point, I'm staying away because it's I don't understand those particular industries greater than what their stock prices are doing. The ones that I've I've played a little bit was more on the hospitality side. So Win Win is a you know, who knows if their dividend is safe. I would say it's probably not. But Win Casino is one that I've watched from come down out of 130 all the way down to less than 100. I missed the run back up to 130, 140, and then it just absolutely cratered, falling down to about $40 a share here recently. So yeah, I, I dabbled in a little bit of win as well and figuring, all right, I'm, I'm okay holding this for the long term. And so I still, for, for those traders in your audience, the number one thing that you need to do whenever you're looking at issues is you need to, before you take the, 
take the issue, you need to understand, is this a short-term purchase? Here is what I'm looking, here's what I expect to happen. And for myself, I always buy it with the assumption it's going to be either a long-term hold or a short-term hold. And if I'm buying something for a long-term hold, I know that I'm not going to fret about a couple of percentage points losses here or there. I may put a trailing stop like I, like I did with some of the, like with Win Casino and with TripAdvisor. And just in case the bottom falls out of the market, it's going to trigger that limit stop and I'll limit out. But on most of the stocks that I'll, I take from a swing trade or along from a short term standpoint, it's with the expectation that I'm willing to hold these for six months to a year and allow them to gyrate a little bit into the market volatility. So Win Casino, TripAdvisors, Southwest Airlines, I feel good about that. Southwest Airlines has got the best balance sheet in the, in the airline industry. Uh, TripAdvisor right. is one that I've, I've followed. So I'm very comfortable with the relative strength that it's showing kind of down at this level. I've been waiting for, you know, I believe in support and resistance levels. It was sitting at a good support level where I felt pretty good. The other thing I do is whenever I take these short-term positions, I never take a 100% position. I take a position of here is what I'd be willing to hold long-term if I was all in on this position, but I'm going to break it up into three or four different purchases. And so I'll buy 25 or 33% at a time, which it gives me the opportunity to take another position if it falls again sure. or if it, if it rallies. So average in a little bit. Right. And so I, I don't want to take any long term positions in wild and crazy stocks necessarily, especially in my long term money, but I, I was given an opportunity due to the market volatility to be able to roll into some of these like the Home Depots. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've traded in and out of Home Depot twice just because we got a 1500 point rally on the market and the Home Depot went the first time from 140 to almost 170. And I felt like I needed to purchase it again. And then it came back down a little bit. I traded back into it. And almost every one of these positions that I've told you, except two, are bright green. And that's Alliance Data Systems and, and Wells Fargo. Even my JP Morgan, because I've, I bought into it over three different, as it came down, I bought three different times. I averaged in. And now, of course, it's, it's, it's not up, you know, a, a ton. You know, it's up 5%, which isn't bad for a three or four week hold. Sure. So, Jeff, let's just shift gears here. And, and just lastly, I want to ask you about your retirement. Are there any is there anything you wish you would have done differently or anything you'd advise to people that you didn't know when you were going to retire? Anything that stood out through this whole process? Are you glad overall that you did it when you did it? Well, in my in my particular field from where I was retiring from, which is you know, being with a, a relatively large financial institution, I was a corporate executive uh, on the IT side. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm quite pleased that I retired one because we had a number of audits that showed up. Uh, we in the financial industry, you get audited relatively often, and that's what led me out of the uh, out of the industry in the first place. Was just because you know you get tired of of audits and constant regulation, and uh, we we took a very structured approach. But you know, the stress builds up over time, and you know, I've, I've been an executive for 25 years, and so. Um, overall, no, I'm, I'm very pleased, especially on the IT side, because I was always really careful about how we rolled out technology and, and to things like telecommuters and such, especially in the financial industry. You always want to make sure you're, you're safe and sound from a, from a technical standpoint. And that's, that's what they paid me to ensure. So as you can imagine, through the social distancing period that we're in now, the, a lot of these organizations, if they didn't move to telecommuting and working from home, they weren't going to survive. You know, they're looking for ways to still be able to maintain 
our service economy in new ways. And so, no, the, the timing for me personally was perfect. The things that I'm really glad that I was willing to do and what I would I caution your listeners on is the toughest thing for me to do was to look at some of my positions, realize that I was overweighted into technology growth and trim those back. You know, at one point uh, last time we chatted in my bridge account, I had two positions, Apple and Google, that made up a total of 18 or 20 percent of my total bridge portfolio. And there's no way that I could look at that and say, that's a good weighting to have. Every fiber of my being wanted to hold on to those positions because one, they were carrying huge capital gains, which meant that I was going to have to take huge capital gains in my last, what turned out to be the best year income-wise ever. And so I was going to get crushed on taxes. But I knew what was far worse would be to retire and have those large technology positions overweighting my account and then have something happen. So the first thing I would tell your listeners is you've got to look at your diversification and understand that you may be retiring into that 1% Monte Carlo iteration that hits something that comes out of the blue that you just couldn't have planned for. And you know, thank goodness. I I rebalanced. Otherwise, my accounts would have been down uh, far more than they are. You know, I trimmed my Apple position by 50%. I trimmed my Google position by 50%. I trimmed other positions and rolled into fixed income. And there's very little yield available in fixed income right now. And so now the market's giving you an opportunity to slowly roll into into the markets. And so the one piece of advice I have, too, for your listeners, for those especially sitting, sitting on cash, you know, two things, really. During incredible times, you can't take incredible action, meaning that we're all emotional beings. And it's very easy to whenever you're, you see markets going down to panic out. You can't allow that to happen. Thankfully, I've been investing in these markets and trading these markets since 89. And so I've seen a number of dot com crash, the uh, the Twin Towers back in 2001, the financial crisis in 2009. You've got to keep as long as you are well balanced and you have a good diversified or you're well diversified. One thing you can't do is allow emotion to force you out of the market and make trades that are going to hurt you long term. But for the regular investor and those that follow the money closely, maybe do some of their own investing. You know, it's how can you not be a little frightened by what the market does? You feel like you're not in control. And so I've, I've talked to a lot of people that say, geez, how do I get into this market? What you do is and I, I am a huge fan of this is that you you take the amount of cash that you have and you start a s- systematic approach to investing that market at say a certain percentage of drop in the market so routinely S&P was at 3394 if you have $100,000 in cash to put to work as the market drops 5% you put a certain percentage of your 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 available free cash to work so 10% let's say 10% of your money market drops 5% you put to work 10% of your money. Market drops another 5%, you put another 10%. If you do that along the way, then if the market drops 50%, you've now, you've captured, by the time the market is down 50% from its highs, you've now rolled into the market in a in a very systematic way. You've deployed your $100,000 in cash in 10% increments, but the market's down 50%. So you're now averaged in. It's just a very good and safe way mm-hmm. to roll into the market. But, you know, the, that was a long way of saying, no, I'm pleased I retired when I did. I'm an emotional being like anyone else and seeing my portfolios down 
you know, 400,000 from my bridge account, knowing how much I want to take out of that on a, on an annual basis. And there's, I tend to look at it and say, all right, I just, I lost in quotes six years, seven years of retirement, in, uh, of potential retirement withdrawals. But the thing you have to realize too is no, you don't lose anything until you, you, you turn that paper loss into an actual loss. And that's the worst thing you could possibly do. So you've got to look at your diversification and you have to make sure that you're well diversified for the period of time that you're going to need that money. Split your money up into different buckets, into different time frames, and then don't allow yourself to ever panic and be systematic and pragmatic in your approach. Awesome. There's very little I would have done. There's very little I would have done differently. Well, good to know. That's why I wanted to bring you on. So again, everybody, uh, this is Jeff from episode 109. Just wanted to bring him back on, especially because he trades here in the markets and, and thought it would be a good time. So we'll launch this episode shortly so everybody can kind of hear how it relates to everything that's going on with COVID. So anyway, Jeff, thanks again for making time. I know it's early for you on the West Coast, so really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on again. Hey, thanks, guys, for having me on. Really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to do it again if you ever need an update. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, so that was our interview with Jeff. Again, for our listeners, he was the original episode with him was episode 109. He had a net worth of 4.1. 150k in Apple stock in a Yellowstone cabin is what we called that episode. So really fun to catch up with him. We completed that interview this week and, and really interesting to hear what he's doing in this corona situation. Obviously, he's a little bit more of an active trader than most people, but still nonetheless very interesting to talk to somebody like that in this type of situation. So that was a great interview. And now coming up, we'll listen to Jeff again, debt-free doctor. His original episode was episode number 48. And he had a net worth of $2.4 million the initial time we interviewed him in September of 2018. So please help me welcome the other Jeff Debt-Free Doctor. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. So, Jeff, let's just kind of get into it. I think, you know, you were on episode 48 and, and we, you know, at the time you had a net worth of 2.4. Now you're up to 2.8. So what's changed in the last, I guess, year and a few months? Well, um, we have our investments of Allocation has definitely changed, and we can get into that a, a little bit later um, into the, but um, just, you know, just appreciation, um, growth with our index funds, changing the allocation. But one of the things that kind of got us down, or I guess didn't grow as much is because we purchased a home. So uh, we're not a completely debt-free. We're definitely consumer debt-free, but we still have, but we have a mortgage now. So that's, that's kind of changed a little bit since we last spoke. Oh, that's awesome. So let's get into the allocation a little bit. Where Where is your allocation sitting now? So um, I think when we previously spoke, we were roughly about 90 to 95% in the stock market. And the majority of that was in Vanguard uh, index funds. So we have, and, I, and I'm pulling up my personal capital account right now, so online so I can tell you pretty much everything, but we've got, uh, so you want me to give like a percentage or yeah, how do yeah, you that'll want work. me to, um, so right now, um, with, we have some retirement accounts and some non-retirement accounts and those are all with, uh, Vanguard. I would probably say about 75% of the money that we have is, is with that. We've got, oh, about $150,000 for our kids 529 plans. And, and that's with the state, but, but, um, those are actually, they allow us to invest in Vanguard index funds. So that's, that's with that. Uh, I have about $70,000 in an HSA account, account, which is index funds, but actually we're not able to, uh, we dropped our health insurance two years ago, just kind of got out of control. So we went with, uh, MediShare. 
you familiar with that? Yeah, I've heard. I mean, I'm not that one in particular, but definitely, you know, all the different uh, health sharing plans and, and kind of the alternative yeah. options out there. Yeah. So um, actually, I wrote a, 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 a an article about it on my blog, and it was actually has been very well received. I know a lot of people have switched because we were paying like it got up. I mean, it got up to like sixteen hundred a month, which we were paying like five hundred a month. Wow. wow. And so I started. Yeah. And I, so I started shopping around, uh, found this and, and, and we pay two sixty, huge, huge savings. But, yeah, um, and sorry to interrupt you, Jeff. This is crazy because you don't have a huge family, right? Just a couple of kids. And no, so, yeah, I have uh, two kids, you know, we're, you know, we're not going to be having any more kids. So, uh, yeah, family of four, we're, we're all healthy, knock on wood. And, um, but the, the kind of the downside, which hopefully they'll eventually change, which I think it's in the legislature now, is um, you're not able to do an HSA account um, with that. So now the, the the remainder of the money that's not in index funds is um, we have started shifting over to passive real estate investments. So that's probably one of the main changes that we've had now. And why why did you kind of make that shift in going from investing in in securities and in the markets to passive real estate investments that, that's a that's a good question uh, actually i kind of i, I kind of got bored uh, i'd probably say a few years ago probably when we got to the point where we were debt free um as i started blogging more and more um i kind of started seeing what a lot of other people were doing and uh, and just a lot of people were going towards um or moving towards these types of investments. And once I, I think another major part of why we shifted to that is because being debt free, we'd lost a lot of our deductions and we were just getting hammered in taxes. So that, that kind of also kind of spurred me to look at, you know, other things as well. So, um, we started looking at some different options. I did not want to be a landlord, but I, I did like the fact that, you know, you could invest, you know, passively in different deals. So, uh, you know, we, we started looking into that and, and I started looking at some crowdfunding sites, um, talked to some people about it, started doing some small deals initially, just some debt deals where basically just, just basically you're, uh, loaning money and, and, and in return, they pay you back a, a fixed return per month. Did that for about a year. That worked out pretty well. Then I started getting into some bigger deals like an equity deal equity deals, uh, which are, which were a little bit more money. And the good thing with that is, you know, you get a, a perf- you know, you get like a monthly return. Plus whenever they sell the property, you get it to split some of the profit. So I started doing uh, a, a little bit of that as well. Interesting. So you shared with us a little bit before the show that, that you had a, a deal actually with the crowdfunding platform kind of go south. You want to just kind of get into the story of that and, and maybe some of the risks and, and things associated with that that you've learned from, you know, that process and that experience? Yes, uh, uh, definitely. Um, I always tell people don't ever invest in anything you don't understand. And, and I broke that rule for sure because I was thinking that some of these websites, you know, like you know, one of the main ones that I was using at the time that, that's no longer in existence, uh, Realty Shares, someone took it over. Um, but, you know, I was under the impression that they were, you know, shifting, sifting through, you know, hundreds and hundreds of deals and they only handpicked the best ones and they were putting those on the website. 
So I was putting my trust in them. So um, I decided to kind of step it up a little bit and and invested in an equity deal, which was an apartment complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, $50,000 minimum for an accredited investor and credit investors only. Uh, it had, it offered a 7% monthly preferred return. So you would, you know, they were kind of guaranteeing you were going to get, you know, 7% per year for every $50,000 you put in. And then about a 19% overall return once it's sold in about five years. So, uh, basically you were, you were going to double your investment in about five years. And after about a year and a half, um, you know, nothing was going on with it. And usually you start getting paid, you know, after a, a few months. Come to find out, it just, it was, I, I didn't do my part to vet the sponsor. Um, I didn't do my part to really read about it. And it was in a crime infested neighborhood. People were moving out, couldn't get people to move in. They tried to sell it. Um, they had somebody that was kind of interested, but the offer was so low, they pulled out and finally they just basically just fell through. And, and all, unfortunately, all the investors, including myself, lost our investment. Wow. Yeah. It's a crazy story. And, and the crazy piece you shared with us just before recording is that they raised, what, what was it? 2.8 million? Uh, yeah, I think it was about 2.5 million. Two point yeah. five million. So a, a huge raise, right? It's crazy to just think that everybody lost. And and how did Realty Shares just? How did they handle it? Just curious. How did, did they? Did, were they constantly send you emails, or what were the updates like? Um, kind of at first they were, but then it, it just kind of stopped. And I guess that's when they were starting to go under. And then when this new group came in, they were just you know basically cleaning. No telling how many different deals. I, I don't know how many different deals that. You know, hopefully not a lot happened like that, but I'm sure that there was others. So they just try to come in and, and do what they could to clean up the mess and then just send a few updates. And then that was it. Yeah. Um, so, so it seems so, like, uh, I mean, it, it seems like for a lot of people, if that were to happen to them, they'd be a, a lot less or more reluctant to invest in real estate. Right. Is that, is that the case for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely was, I, I learned a lot from that. And, and fortunately I was able to, start really, really learning and reading about it because there were just so many people doing it. And and really the key to doing those types of passive investing deals that most of the ones that I invest in are multifamily apartment syndications where basically people are, you know, pooling their money to go in and invest in apartments, you know, but basically purchasing a share of an LLC. And the key that I've found is vetting the sponsor, you know, getting really knowing them, you know, talking to them on the phone. If, if you need to go meet them, go physically look at the property. So you really know what you're getting because when you're making that type of investment, I think that's really important. Sure. But um, if, if you can find one that you trust and luckily I've, I've found um, a few that I've actually been doing uh, several deal deals with now for about two years, that that's the key. And, and, and these have been really great. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, everything, as you know, everything happens for a reason. Maybe that was the reason that it happened that I really needed to, you know, learn about it and study it to, to make good educated decisions. And now what I'm doing is I've, I've actually shifted the content on my website more towards talking about a lot of the experiences and, and a lot of the different do's and don'ts that people should look for if they are thinking about investing in passive real estate. 
Yeah, I like that. And I agree with you on all fronts. I think it's extremely important, especially to check out, you know, track record history, what they've done, what they've been involved with. And so how many syndications now are you currently invested in? I um I'm currently in in three and I'm I'm looking at a fourth one right now. Um I'm also in the process of looking at a commercial uh building here where where I live in my hometown as well. That's actually a triple net lease. So I'm thinking about um doing that as well. Awesome. So it seems like just in summary here from from when we first interviewed you about a year ago to now you you've increased your net worth about 4 or 500,000 and you're shifting a little bit more towards real estate. It doesn't mean you're going out of the market or pulling out, but you used to be pretty much all in the market and now you're starting to add real estate a little bit to your portfolio. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Yes. And then any other big major changes? Are you more bonds, less bonds? I know it's only been a year, so probably nothing dramatic, but any other changes within your your investment portfolio market-wise? Market-wise, no. Every, you know, Everything that's still in the market is still the majority is index funds, uh, no single stocks have just, you know, maybe 1% and some, some bond funds, you know, one of the, the Vanguard, uh, total bond sure. index fund or something like that. Yeah. But, um, other than that, yeah, everything is, you know, pretty much a state as is. Awesome. And remind us, Jeff, where people can get a hold of you and, and what your blog's all about and where they can find that. Um, it's, uh, debtfreedr.com. Um, you can email me at jeff at debtfreedr.com. It's, um, it's geared towards doctors and other high income professionals. Um, you know, started off just sharing my journey of becoming, um, debt free. A lot of the mistakes that I made along the way. So trying to help people not make the same financial mistakes I'd made. And it, and it originally just started off doing that, teaching that, and then some basic investing information. And then as, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's shifting more towards, you know, building different streams of passive income and, and couple, couple reasons why. Number, number one, doctor burnout is becoming, and, and really not just doctor, just people just are burning out a lot of, of these high stress jobs. And I had a friend of mine that's a local dentist actually commit suicide a couple of months ago. And, you know, if I could, if I could help people to, you know, phase out or really cut back or quit altogether a job that they're not happy with by teaching them different ways to get additional income streams. I mean, that, that's definitely, uh, um, one of the big goals that I wanted to set, you know, for the information that I put out there. And then also my, my kids have, have started becoming interested in it. So that, that really made me excited too to to teach them that information and and let them you know if they like it hey go for it but at All least right. at least have options you know yeah so speaking of which how remind me how old are you i am 45 and do you have a retirement goal or is there a time that you're kind of going to hang it up anything in mind or just keep going um i would like the uh, ability in you know 10 to 12 years if if i wanted to really cut back on practicing or bring someone in just totally and phase out. But I, I would, I would never, I'm never going to retire. I'm going to be always be doing something. Um, I'm, I'm looking at maybe at that point having the option to get a little bit deeper into uh, real estate investing, you know, mm-hmm. doing some stuff on my own or with other people. So that's, that's kind of what I'm shooting for it now. Nice. And then I know you mentioned yeah. you bought a house, right? In the last year or so. How much was that and how much are you leveraged on that? And, and remind me, did you sell a house to buy it? 
Uh, we're actually still living in our house right now that's paid for. So we're in the process of remodeling. We owe about 500 on it now. And, you know, after we remodel, we'll, we'll just sell our house and we'll just, you know, put all of that money into it. And, um, you know, my goal is to have it paid off in about four or five years, but I'm, I'm not in a, you know, I used to just be in a big hurry, you know, to do kind of that stuff. But now that yeah. I kind of understand there's different options out there. And, um, so I'm, I'm not in quite as big as a hurry as I used to be when I had a ton of consumer debt, like, um, student loans and that sort of thing. Sure. And just for our listeners, yeah. maybe that haven't listened to your original interview, how much in student loans and debt did you have? We were close to about $300,000, but that was close to 20 years ago. So I know now, you know, when people are getting out, it's considerably higher, you know, probably five to $600,000 or, or more is the norm. So it's just, you know, getting, getting worse and worse, unfortunately, out there. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. I've done, I have a couple of cousins that are in med school and they've chosen and, and several uncles and Jace does as well in his family. And a lot of at least my friends and her cousins mm. and family have chosen the military route to, to just kind of try and avoid that. But then of course you have to give years of service afterwards, right? But an option that a few people have chosen. So Jeff, where do you, where do you kind of go from here? How, how the goals changed at all? If they have, do you have a net worth goal, passive income goal, real estate owned goal, anything like that? Well, I, I would like to get, you know, get to the point where my passive income is exceeding our monthly expenses. So I think once, once I do that, whenever that is, I would be able to make the decision. Do I want to keep practicing or do I just want to, um, you know, move on to something else? You know, who, who knows that 10 to 12 years what I'll be interested in. Sure. But it's just good having options. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what are those? What are your As monthly you know. expenses right now? Um, right now, you're, it's anywhere from twelve to fourteen thousand dollars, roughly. But um, with, you know, that's definitely going to change once we move into the house, which which will be about another six to eight months. So we'll we'll look at it at that time and kind of readjust. And um, you know, with the kids going to college in in the not too distant future, again, you know, we we won't know exact amount. You know, depending on if they get scholarships and that sort of thing. So. We try to live, you know, well below our means as much as possible. So we do have that, you know, leeway. Awesome. Well, hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Net worth of $2.8 million. Thanks again for coming up and giving us a little recap about where you're at. Yep, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thanks, thanks, thanks again for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.